Looks like we got a, a motorcycle friend over there. You can go ahead and take a seat. He's really excited to hear the sermon. <laughs> well, this is our second week in a four-week series that we've decided to call our Need for a Savior. And this, this series kind of started because we've been talking about 1 Timothy 1.15, which says that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And we've kind of been unpacking that, and we've said that for a lot of people, particularly people who are kind of millennials or younger, um, that this idea of us being sinners can be kind of challenging. It can be kind of offensive even. Maybe it sounds, when you hear that word, uh, you're a sinner, or, or hear about our sin, it can sound kind of judgmental, or maybe it sounds too negative, or, or whatever. But we've been talking about that, and we've said that, you know, even though that word, we might not like that word, if we're going to be honest when we read the Bible, we can't just skip over the parts we, won't, we don't like, especially because this is a word that comes up over and over and over again, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, whether it's Jesus or whether it's Paul. And so we've been kind of diving in and unpacking what does this mean when Jesus says that we're sinners? What does that mean and why is he so intent on, on talking about that? We say it's not because he just wants us to be depressed it's because he wants to show us that we need more than just a friend. We need more than just an encouraging word. What we really need is a savior. And so last week we looked at the way sin, and in particular original sin, we looked at the way original sin, um, which is this, it's this pre-existing condition that we come into the world with, right, original sin. We looked at how it affects our hearts, and we said that you know, Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful. That our hearts are kind of like con artists, right? You know, any good con artist doesn't just, doesn't just come up and say, give me your money, right? A con, a con artist is sneaky, a con artist lures you in and then tries to take advantage of you. And that's similar to the way that our hearts are. Because our hearts, we get a lot of mixed messages from our hearts. You know, our hearts have a conscience, regardless of whether we're a Christian or non-Christian. Our hearts have a moral compass that points us towards what's good and what's right. And our hearts also have lots of passions, whether it's for, for music or it's for um, it's for being creative or it's for, uh, it's for doing a particular job in a particular field or helping other people. Again, these aren't just Christian things. These are things that everybody, because we're human beings made in the image of God, that we have when we that we bring into the world with us. But we said that what makes our hearts so tricky and so deceitful is that our hearts also will sometimes lead us in the wrong direction. And we said that sometimes that means our hearts will take something bad something that's going to hurt us and tell us that it's good, like having an affair or like retaliating or holding a grudge. Sometimes our hearts take something that's bad and, and try to convince us, no, that's a good thing. You know, you're justified in doing that. Anybody in your position would do that, right? On the other hand, sometimes what our hearts do is take something that's good, you know, not something that's bad, but something that's good, that's a gift that God has given us and our hearts tell us, you can't live without that. You have to have that. 
If you don't have that, you can't be happy. So is it a good thing to want to be successful at your job? Of course it is. But when, sometimes when we get into a particular field, especially one we really care about, and we get a little taste of that success or a taste of a lack of success, sometimes our hearts will tell us, you have to have that. Whatever it takes, whatever you have to give up, you have to get that. And it becomes an idol. Okay, so our hearts are deceitful. Now, I'm just, as I think about this, I'm thinking about the way this kind of hits people, the way it would hit you. And I'm guessing that for some people, certainly uh, many people kind of in, in society would, would hear this and would say, okay, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I think anybody would say that sometimes their hearts lead them in the wrong direction. Or I think we can all agree on that. But some people might say, okay, well, well sure, but, but there's an easy way to tell what's right and what's wrong. We don't really need the Bible. We don't necessarily need Jesus because there's an easy way that we can tell if our heart's pointing us in the right direction or the wrong direction. And that is we can ask a question, will this hurt anybody? Is this gonna hurt anybody? And so you've probably heard this phrase before. Um, maybe you've used this phrase. And that's that you should just do, we should be able to do whatever we want to do as long as it's not hurting anybody. Okay, you should be able to do whatever makes you happy, whatever you feel like doing, as long as you're not hurting somebody. Okay, has anybody heard that phrase before? So what do we think about this phrase? You know, I'll say from the beginning that in many ways it makes a lot of sense. We should have some freedom, right? You know, we shouldn't be micromanaged by the government. You know, your pastor shouldn't be telling you what time to wake up in the morning, you know, or, or what hobbies to choose. We should have freedom with what we, we should be able to choose what we do to a certain extent. And it's true, yeah, that we should, as Christians, certainly we should love our neighbor as ourselves, right? That means we should, should we take into consideration the way our actions are going to impact other people? Of course we should, right? But sometimes, he's doing a wheelie right next to us. Do you guys see that? Is that a, is that a four-wheeler or is that a motorcycle? Is it a three-wheeler? That's when you know it's good is when it's a three-wheeler. <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> so, uh, so, but sometimes people will say, okay, that's really all you need is just to be able to ask this question, you know, is this going to hurt anybody? Because I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing um, in, in whatever area of my life, relationships or finances or, uh, or my work or, or, or whatever it is, as long as it's not hurting somebody. And I'm going to say that while that phrase does make a lot of sense, I think it is useful, um, that there's at least two things, there's at least two problems with it, that not necessarily problems with it, but two things that make us, that tell us that we need more than that, okay? First of all, okay, do whatever you want to do as long as you're not hurting somebody. Here's my question. How do you know that you're not hurting somebody? How do you know that you're not hurting somebody? Because the thing is, I think historically speaking, human beings 
are notoriously bad at predicting the effects that their actions are going to have on other people, right? How many times have, has somebody done something or invented something or created something with all the best intentions and it ended up having a, a really, it caused a lot of pain for a lot of people, right? That happens all the time. And we can think of other examples too where people, you know, somebody's, you know, maybe like a, a father who, a father who just doesn't spend much time at home. Okay, maybe, you know, just never comes home, doesn't spend a lot of time with the kids. You're never gonna walk in on him, like beating his kids with, a, with, with something, but just doesn't really have a close relationship with his kids. You know, doesn't have necessarily vices or, but just, you know, just, just kind of hangs out with his friends outside the house instead of spending time with his kids. Of course, there's nothing wrong with spending time with your friends, but you know what I'm talking about. And then the kids grow up, and the question is, did the father not taking time to spend with his kids, did that hurt his children? It did, didn't it? Did he intend to hurt his children? Well, no, he didn't. Did he do anything that you'd look at it in that moment and you'd say, well, you're hurting somebody? Well, probably not. But his actions ended up hurting people that he really cared about in ways he wasn't expecting. And so remember we said before that our hearts are, are trying to trick us. That Proverbs tells us that, that there's, a way, there's a way that seems right in the eyes of a man or a woman, but in the end it leads to death. Okay, so when the Bible, because I think for any of us, in the Bible, sometimes we see there's, there's some commands that we hear and we're like, okay, that makes total sense. You honestly didn't even need to tell me that, like got that one. But there's other commands that, that just don't sit right with us. You know, how many of you have something in the Bible that you've read where it seems like God's saying that this is wrong or this is something you should do and you're like, man, I just don't, that, that's really hard to hear. And so my question is, is it possible, for example, when the Bible teaches about marriage and talks about that the appropriate place for sex is in a, in a marriage between a man and a woman, is it possible that even if that kind of hits us like, oh, that's, I just don't know, I think, yeah, I think that's being kind of closed-minded, is it possible that God didn't just give us that command or other commands just to, just arbitrarily? Is it possible that he knows something that we don't know, that ultimately doing this thing that might really seem good and right and desirable in, in your eyes, that it might lead to, to death, even though you're not intending that? Okay, is that possible? That's the first thing I would say, is that we're notoriously bad at predicting if our actions are gonna hurt other people. So, so we need more than that. And the second thing I would say about this phrase, do whatever you wanna do as long as you're not hurting somebody, is that God has created us. God has created us to be more than just people who don't hurt other people. God has created us to be more than just people who aren't murderers or who aren't laundering money or who aren't stealing or something like that. God has created us for more. Um, so I was thinking about this and, and trying to think of a good analogy, and this is what I came up with. It's kind of a strange analogy. Um, but David Amon said he thought it would work, so it's David's fault if you don't like it. 
Um, so, okay, so imagine, okay, so I'll say this first, that if we're going to judge, because remember this whole series, we're talking about the idea of sin and that sometimes when the Bible says that, okay, you're a sinner and you need a savior, that can feel kind of offensive, right? But what we have to remember is that God is the one who created us, who created us for a purpose. And if you're going to evaluate yourself as a human being or other people as a human being, you can't just do it based on what it seems like to you. You have to, the only way to know how good of a blank something is, is to know what its purpose was, right? The only way to know how good of a human being you are is to know what your purpose was and see if you're, you're fulfilling your purpose. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's the analogy. So imagine that, imagine that I went over to Brian Cross's house and Brian Cross has a big, a big yard. And so imagine that I went into Brian Cross's house and went over back into his yard, and this is completely hypothetical. I just chose Brian because he has a big yard. But, and, and so I go into his backyard, and I see this, I see this, like, this, this white thing kind of under a pile of leaves, and it's, like, got stuff growing out of it, and there's kind of this smell coming from it. It's kind of rusted over. And, and I, I get a little bit closer, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, that is a Tesla Model S. That's a Tesla Model S, right? That's one of the, the coolest cars on the road today. But it's like, you know, it's all rusted over, and it's like, you know, it's filled with just this kind of mucky stuff, and it smells really bad, and the wheels are falling off, and it's just in really bad shape. And I say, and I bring Brian over and I say, Brian, man, what, what in the world did you do to this car? This is a really nice car. What, what did you do to it? And Brian says, oh, no, you got that wrong. That's not, that's, that's what that is. That's my compost bin. That's my compost bin. Okay, so that, that's what you do with compost, right? You, 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 and you know what, Ryan? This is actually the best. I've had a lot of compost bins before, but this is the best compost bin that I have ever had bar none. How dare you insult this compost bin because it is a darn good compost bin. It's got, it's about the right size. It's got easy access from the sunroof. You know, the, the windows kind of have this like greenhouse effect going on. This is, this, I've never, man, where, where did this come from? This is such a great compost bin. And so what would I, what do you think I would say? And this is a really strange example. <laughs> but what do you think I would say or, or be thinking or feeling in, in that moment? I'd be thinking, Brian, if you had, this, this was not, if you had any idea what this is and what it was made to be, then you would be ashamed of yourself, <laughs> Right, because this isn't this. This was made. This is one of the the greatest engineering feats of the 21st century, and and this is how you're you're using it. This isn't a really good compost bin. This is a really messed up Tesla. <laughs> right, and so the point I'm trying to make 
is that I, I think sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, you know, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I'm, I'm nice to people. I, I don't, you know, punch anybody. I've never killed anybody. I'm not, whatever. I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. You know, why would God ever say I'm a sinner? And I think the reason we feel that way is because we're, we don't understand the purpose that we have been created for. And if we did, just like if I saw a Tesla being used as a compost bin, I'd be horrified. In the same way, I think we'd be horrified, that we should be horrified when we look at what God made us to be and then what we are by comparison. So let's look at Genesis 1. Let's look, look at Genesis chapter 1 and just ask the question, what did God create us to be? Okay, Genesis chapter 1. So in Genesis chapter 1, God creates all of creation except for humanity. And we could spend so much time on this, but, but just for time's sake. So God's got everything. He's got the animals. He's got the, you know, the, the sun and the, and the moon and the stars. And he's got the oceans and, and everything's, everything's good. And then in verse 26, this is what God says. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every young plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth. And then God goes on to talk about what the animals eat. So this is where God explains to us what we as human beings were created to be. Now, look what it says in verse, 20, um, in, in verse 27. It says that he created man in his own image. And, then, and before that, in verse 26, it says he, cre he created man. He said, let us create man in our image after our likeness, and then let them have dominion over all of creation. Okay, so what is the purpose? You know, the purpose of a Tesla is to be really awesome and drive fast and, you know, not use gas and, and look really cool and stuff like that. What is the purpose that human beings were created for? There's at least two things here. Number one is to be like God, to be like God. That we're supposed to be an image of God, kind of like a mirror that is pointed at God's glory um, at, God, at God, and that is reflecting God's glory, his goodness, his love, his power for everybody to see. So we're supposed to be like God. We're supposed to be God's representatives that show the world what God is like. Okay, when people look at, at me, they're supposed to see, oh, that's kind of what God is like. Okay, and, and then secondly, God says we're supposed to be in charge of all of creation to take care of it and to, and to nurture it, right? So let's think about this. We're supposed to be like God. 
We're supposed to be God's representatives. You know, God is not visible on the earth, but human beings are. And when, when people see or animals see or whatever sees human beings, they're supposed to see, they're supposed to see, okay, that's what God is like because that is God's representative here on the earth. So let's take a second and think about this. What is God like? Okay, you know, because if this is true, God didn't just create us to be loving. It's not enough for us to just be loving. You know, everybody is a little bit loving, right? Anybody can, you know, if you think about it hard enough, you can talk yourself into, yeah, I'm a pretty loving person, right? But God didn't just create us to be loving. He created us to be as loving as God is loving. He, he didn't just create us to love people. He created us to love like God loves. He, his intention in creating us is that when people look at, at me or you and they see the way we love other people around us, they're going to say that's what God is like. And that's going to be an accurate picture. But think about this. Okay, so... Um, you know, so we believe that God, God's in control of everything, right? So God's in control of everything, which means anything that happens in the world, God is, is actively, consciously allowing it. He's, he's working it together for his will, right? So, so the, you know, the, the atmosphere and the sun and the, you know, the seasons and all these things, these are all held together. Our, our bodies, our organs, our, you know, everything about life, everything about creation is being actively held together and maintained by, by God, right? And so, and kind of think about this with me. There's some people in the world who absolutely hate God, aren't there? There's people in the world who actively hate God. There's people in the world who spend their lives, who've dedicated their lives to going around from place to place trying to convince people that God doesn't exist. There's people that curse God on a regular basis. There's people who try to, who make it their passion to try to find people who are, are following God and to arrest them and to, and to abuse them. Okay, there's people like that in the world. And every single day, God causes the sun to rise and give them light and give them warmth. Every single day, God causes their internal organs to continue to function properly. Every single day, you know, God doesn't just say, okay, it's only, it's only the people that don't hate me who get sunlight today. You know, it's only, you know, I'm only going to send rain on the parts of the world where there's Christians. You know, the, the parts where there's atheists, no rain, no food. He doesn't do that. He sends the sun and the rain. He gives his good gifts to everybody, regardless of how much they might hate him, regardless of whether they are his enemies. Okay, God, in, in Ezekiel 18, it says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. When an evil person dies, God's not like, got another one. 
That's not the way God is. God grieves that another person has missed out on his, on his goodness. That's the way that God loves, okay? That's the way God loves. Now think about the way you love. Think about the way I love. That's the way God loves his enemies. And sometimes I struggle to love my family. Sometimes I find myself hating my family, and I think we all do. You know, God is most concerned with the people who are most marginalized. He's, he's near to the brokenhearted. He gives grace to the humble. But for us, how, many, how much time do we think about, about people who are disadvantaged, about people who are poor? It's just kind of out of sight, out of mind. For us so often, it's like, you know, if, if I do something good to you, if I give you a birthday present, and then you don't give me a birthday present back, well, I'm, <clears throat> I'm angry. Think about the way God is and think about the way we are. Because again, we weren't just created to be loving, we were created to love like God loves. And that Tesla might be the most amazing state-of-the-art compost bin in the history of composting. But that's not what it was made for. And so it's a, it's, it's a, what it is ultimately is a really messed up Tesla. And we might be, you might be, the nicest person in the world. And you might be the best person in the world at not killing people at not murdering people. But you were created for more than that. You were created so that when people look at you, they see what God is like. And very briefly, I know that we're, we're running long. Very briefly, I want to read Romans 3. Romans 3, verse 21. This is what Paul says in Romans 3, verse 21. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It says that everybody has sinned, and there's that word again, and we've fallen short. What have we fallen short of? The glory of God. Because we were designed not just to not murder people, we were designed to be image bearers of the glory of God so that when people see me, they'll see how glorious and how wonderful God is. And all of us fall short. We fall pathetically short. Even on our best day, on our best day, Everything that we do, the best thing that we can do on our own, in our own strength, is an insult to God because we're misrepresenting God. We're saying, this is what God is like. And that is not what God is like. God is far, 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 far better than that. And so as we close here, we've been talking in this series about how 
the whole reason that Jesus is intent on making sure that we know that we're sinners is because he wants us to know that we need more than just an encouraging word or a pat on the back. What we need is a savior. And so as you're listening to this today, I think it would be easy to kind of hear this, and we just talked about how loving God is and how we don't care enough about poor people and how, you know, we have trouble loving our families. I think it would be easy for us to kind of hear this and think, okay, you know, I've got to, I've got to get it together. You know, Monday morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better. And that would be the wrong response. Because the truth is, like it says here, we fall, we fall far, far, far short of the glory of God. And nobody, no matter how hard we try, we're always going to be a distorted picture, a misrepresentation of, how, of what God is and who God is. Nothing we can do that we can do can change that. So I hope that you, this will cause you to look to Jesus. I hope this will cause you to look to Jesus. And, you know, maybe you're here listening to this, and as you're listening, you, you kind of realize, gosh, I've been, my sense of my being right with God has kind of been based on me, in my mind, being a pretty good person. And I'm hearing this, and I'm realizing I'm actually falling way, way, way short of where I thought I was. You know, if that's you today, then I would encourage you to trust in Jesus, because what we need, we don't just need somebody to help us along a little bit and say, oh, yeah, keep going, you know, do that instead. We need somebody to come down to earth in human form and do it for us. And that's what Jesus has done for us in our place so that we can get credit for it. And so if, you, if you've never really put your trust in Jesus, not just, okay, Jesus, help me be a good person, but Jesus, I'm a sinner I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. Then I'd encourage you to do that right now. And after the service, you can come find me or you can come find David or Matt or, or come find somebody and, and just, and we'd love to talk with you. And if you are somebody who's already put your, your trust in Jesus, I hope as you hear this, that this isn't just gonna be like, that this won't be kind of just a kick in the pants, like, okay, I've gotta try harder. But I hope you'll spend some time this afternoon, tomorrow, whenever you have a chance, thinking more about what Jesus has done for you. Because the more we see how far short we fall of the glory of God, the more we should just overflow in thankfulness and gratitude for Jesus because he's the one who's taken his righteousness and given it to us and taken our sin and crucified it on the cross. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for dying. Thank you that when we were your enemies, you died for us. Thank you that you're patient. And every single day, you give people more opportunities to, to turn to you and to come to you. And Jesus, we need you. We cannot be righteous on our own. The only righteousness we could possibly have is the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you would just, if we have any notion that we can be what you've created us to be on our own or that we are almost what you've created us to be on our own, I pray that you take that away. And instead you would replace it with a trust and a reliance on you.
In Jesus' name, amen.